Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 63. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Kalika Yap on the show. But before we continue with this episode, I wanted to ask if you can share some love by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating. If you leave a rating, your name may be dropped in one of my future episodes. So stay tuned and connected. Yeah, I think that when you have a military regime taking over a country, it just feels a lot unsafe because people who are supposedly protecting you, if they don't want to protect you anymore, they can just use violence or force. They're not following really the rules of government at that point. If military is in charge, they'll police with guns rather Mm -hmm. than rules of law. Yeah, my dad was a door-to-door salesman selling encyclopedias when he first came to the U.S. Kalika was born in the Philippines, and when the military coup took over their country, her parents were forced to leave. She ended up growing up in Hawaii, but Kalika's journey took her to California, where she moved with her then-boyfriend, who ended up dumping her shortly after her move. She had no job and nowhere to go, so she ended up sleeping on the floor at someone's apartment. She got a job working for $6 an hour hour getting paid under the table and that is when she used the internet cafe to her advantage. She taught herself how to program and do website design. She started a side hustle at 26 years old and now she's running five amazing companies. Kalika runs a digital web marketing agency called Citrus Studios. She's also launched the First, a high-end luxury waxing salon in Honolulu called The Waxing Company. Her latest company, Orange and Bergamot, is empowering female founders to change the world. And her goal is to help 1 million female founders make at least $1 million in revenue. She also runs the company Lux Hook, where she invented and has a patent on the amazing purse hook. Kalika is also the host of the EO Wonder Podcast, one of the top seven podcasts for entrepreneurs, according to Inc. To top it off, she's an author of the amazing book, Little Brand Book. Not only that, both of her kids are entrepreneurs as well. They started their company, Conscious Kids, when they were only nine and 10 years old. You guys, I just gotta say, this woman definitely has some superpowers. And in this episode, she unlocks the secret to her successes. So let's dive right in. Okay, Kalika, thank you so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I am so, so excited to hear all about your journey. And I'm also interested how you're running 10 million companies all at (laughs) once. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. And it's really amazing to be able to be among other immigrant entrepreneurs. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? Yeah, so my parents, Florentin and Edelina Wanashan, always thought that they would do their best. They raised five kids in the U.S., They uprooted three of us from Quezon City, Manila to escape martial law. We left comfort for freedom and a dream. And we headed to Hawaii, where I grew up when I was, and I moved there when I was three. 
Okay. So do you remember anything? You said Manila, is that Philippines? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you remember anything growing up there? Or do you recall any stories from your parents? What it was like living in the Philippines? Yeah, we definitely had comfort there. We had multiple maids and people catering to me and my brothers. That was really different when we moved to the U.S. So handmade clothes. I would wear matching clothes with my mom, you know, lots of vacations, drivers, cooks. So the Philippines was a comfortable place for my parents. And you said they moved to the United States because why? To escape martial law. And what is that? When the president puts military, the military in charge. Oh, and so the military coup takes over. Yes. Got it. And what changed for them at that point? Yeah, I think that when you have a military regime taking over a country, it just feels a lot unsafe because people who are supposedly protecting you, if they don't want to protect you anymore, they can just use violence or force. They're not following really the rules of government at that point. If military is in charge, they'll police with guns rather than mm -hmm. rules of law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what kinds of jobs did your parents get when they first immigrated to the United States? And did you say they moved to Hawaii first? Yeah, my dad was a door-to-door -door salesman selling encyclopedias when he first came to the U.S. Okay. And what about your mom? My mom was a housewife. Did they have any family or friends when they immigrated? Yes. My grandmother was already here in Hawaii. Well, she was already there in Hawaii. Okay. So they didn't really look at any other country. They really knew that they were going to move to Hawaii during the military coup taking over. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because my grandmother was already here in Hawaii. Got it. Okay. So growing up in Hawaii, did you come through any struggles as an immigrant? I think that I was really fortunate to grow up in Hawaii because 50 percent is they, you know, they look Asian. And so I really just really fell in love with Hawaii. It was definitely a lot more open. And there were, of course, people in other diverse races that would make fun of you. But I, I think mostly it was for fun. Growing up in high school, we would have these things called, which is terrible, like Kill Howley Day, which is like Howley means white. It was almost the opposite because we were the majority at the time. And did your parents know any English when they first moved to Hawaii? Yes, English is taught in the Philippines. So yes, they knew English. All right. So before you tell our listeners about all the companies that you run and started, tell me a little bit about the path you took. And I want to know if you went into any other fields before starting your businesses. Yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist growing up. And so I headed to school at New York University. And then from there, I realized that being a journalist really wasn't for me. And I ended up being an entrepreneur instead. Okay. So what was that journey like for you? Did you graduate from university and then go into a corporate field and then you quit and then you started your first company or what was that journey like for you? Yeah. So when I was in New York, I was working at Bloomberg, Business News, CNBC, The Today Show. My boyfriend at the time moved to California. I followed him there and he dumped me after the first three weeks. 
and I didn't have a car, I didn't have a job, I didn't have a place to stay. And so I was couch surfing for a little bit. He had dumped me in an internet cafe called CyberJava. So at that point, I was making friends with the owner of the cafe. They said that I could, you know, stay in their their apartment, which is right down the street. And I was sleeping on the floor of the second bedroom of a couple. So it was, it was pretty in- interesting, interesting times. And then from there, the program, I would just go to this internet cafe. I learned how to program and got my first job at the Getty, the Getty Museum, um, because I had already classes. I already was teaching classes and how to teach people about the internet, how to create your own website, how to go on chat. And I had experience and they were looking for people with experience in the internet. That's how I got my first job after being unemployed and couch surfing. Got it. So I read somewhere that you had a job at the cafe getting $6 an hour. Yeah. $6 under the table. So I was getting unemployment. Yeah. Okay. So what was the first company that you started? The first company I started was a company called Citrus Studios, and I named it Citrus because I made lemonade out of lemons. And what does that company do? How did you create it? What did you do first when you first launched it? What was that journey like? Yeah, so Citrus was primarily doing website design and development. And for the first couple of years, that's primarily what I did, website design and development. And you learned all of that through what? So at the cafe was when I first started to program. Okay. And then I went to the Getty, honed my skills there and was doing a lot of websites on the side. And then when I started making more money on the side, you know, my quote side hustle, I mean, there were no words like that back when I started, like the idea of an entrepreneur, like it wasn't cool. Like people were making fun of me, like, but they were very confused. At one point, some of my friends who were working some of the biggest news organizations like the Today Show and the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, they came and tried to do an intervention, but they saw how happy I was working at this cafe, you know, building websites and they just left me alone. But back then it wasn't, it wasn't cool to be couch surfing and and making your own way, not having a job and doing yoga and was just not cool. <laughs> no, totally different times for sure. So where did you launch your website or uh, did you have a laptop? Did you have any like initial startup cost? Yeah, no, I started my business with a $400 loan from my parents, a used computer and an $86 desk from Ikea. But I was at the Getty first uh-huh. and then doing website design and development on the side. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so when did you quit the Getty to do this full time? In 1999. Oh, okay. And then how old were you when you first launched your first business, Citrus Studios? I started doing website design development when I was 26, but I officially started my company when I was 29. What was next for you? I know you're still running Citrus Studios, right? Yeah, I'm running all my companies. Okay. Currently, yeah. It's different. A lot of serial entrepreneurs, they usually go from one company, they close it or sell it or get acquired. Yeah. But all my companies are running concurrently. Okay. So what was the next business for you? The next business that I started was a company called LuxLink, which I am the inventor of the original purse hook. 
Okay. And what was that? How did you invent that? Or what made you decide to open up a second business? Yeah, my grandmother always told me never to put my purse on the floor because it means you're going to lose money. So I was always frantic about that. So I was visiting my friend in Italy who was getting married and I was I put my really big Louis Vuitton purse on top of this table, which was really, really tiny. And I was in this really small restaurant called Donna Rosa in the Amalfi Coast. And she said, can I take your bag? I said, yeah. So she put it on this hook. It was a really gigantic hook. And then she put it on the side of the table so my bag wouldn't be in the way. And I thought it was just genius, but this hook was really, really, really big. And I just remember telling my husband, like, if I could redesign it somehow, make it really small and even sell it for a dollar, like we'd make a lot of money. And um, that's when that idea started. And in the back of my mind, you know, I had already citrus for several years and I couldn't imagine starting another company. And I always thought though that it would be easier to do a product business because a service business is really hard. You always have to try to get clients each time. And I was thinking, oh, but if I had a product, then maybe it'll be an easier business. And I didn't really want to start it because I knew how hard Citrus was. And so I had reached out to one of my roommates at NYU just because she was really tired of her job. We decided to start the company together. But that was like another total journey. Yeah. So where did you guys go? And did you guys own a patent on this purse hook? Yeah, we do. I do actually now. So yeah. I bought it from her. She, it was, there's so much drama around this story with her, but so she didn't want to be at her company. So I said, why don't you join the company? You know, you could be COO. I can be CEO. You know, I know it's, it's my idea, but you could, we could, you know, share in this business. Then I had another one of my roommates from NYU join with a very small percentage. And at first I was working on this prototype, trying to work with a designer here in California to come up with a prototype and I really couldn't figure it out. So I flew to China to figure out this prototype. I had already spent $15,000 on these prototypes that just didn't work. I was really frustrated. And so I flew to China and tried to figure out like, well, what is, what am I trying to create? And it reminded me of a keychain. So I approached a keychain manufacturer in this place called Zhongshan, China. Mm-hmm. And they had this thing called the Canton Fair, where they have all these vendors, you know, selling different things. And I showed them some of drawings and they literally within two weeks, I got back a prototype that was, that's very similar to what we're selling today. I was amazed that they were able to really come up with that vision right away after working for six months with this California design agency and <laughs> getting it. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was really interesting. And and the price was also much cheaper in China, even though I had to fly there. And where did you find the supplier in America to eventually to fly to China to meet them? Did you just go on Google and look up some Google searches and then connect it and get a meeting with them? Or how did that happen? So there's this thing called the Canton Fair. Uh And so that's where all the vendors are. The businesses there where they'll sell different things to people who visit from the U.S. And so I got a pass to go to the Canton Fair and I started looking around for a company that would do something that was similar to what I was trying to create. And so my idea was, let me go to a company that makes keychains, because I think that what I want to create is similar to a keychain. That's what came to my mind. And so I went to this keychain manufacturer 
in China. I, I didn't have their name before I flew. Oh, got it. You essentially just went to the conference, to the trade show, just mm-hmm. to meet someone. And then you went looking for the supplier and then found them there. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, because you are the second immigrant entrepreneur on my show that actually goes out of the country to find suppliers. So I'm always interested mm-hmm. to know how do people get connected mm-hmm. with folks overseas? Do they, you know, just pick up a phone and give them a call? And many times they hear is like, hey, the international people outside of the U.S. are so friendly. You can easily go from an administrative staff to the CEO in a matter of a couple of minutes. <laughs> Um, to get connected. Yeah. I think it's a little difficult to find people. You know, I mean, I tried to go through a whole bunch of consultants and it's not as easy as that. Right. I actually hired a consultant. It was someone who lived in China and then that didn't work out. And then, you know, I was definitely looking. So I finally was just, I'm just going to fly there and I'm just going to figure it out when I get there. And I had, you know, a week and a half or two weeks to, to figure it out. But I I was really determined. Wow. And you went by yourself? Yes. First I went by myself and I had some friends, they call them expatriate. So they were working for companies like PayPal there. And so I knew them in San Francisco. So I would just go there and like, I'd visit them. But yeah, I went by myself. Wow. Super courageous. Look at that. (laughs) Good job. Okay. So what was the third company that you opened? The third company I opened was the Waxing Company, which is a waxing salon in Honolulu. It was the first waxing salon in Honolulu in 2008 or so. My sister-in-law, my brother's wife at the time, wanted to start a waxing salon. She couldn't get a loan. And so she gave me her business plan and I looked at it and, you know, because I wanted to help them, I invested about $150,000 of my own money into the waxing company. And later on, they fast forward like 10 years, they got divorced. And so now I own the company outright. I was planning to only be like a silent investor, but have been really involved with the branding and marketing. I think that's why we were successful within three months. Like I was, they basically, the company was able to pay me back within three months mm-hmm. from the revenue. But yeah, now I own the company. <laughs> and you did their branding because that is essentially what Citrus Studios, what you guys do at Citrus Studios is branding, development, social media marketing, digital marketing, right? Yeah. I mean, but I, when I first started with, with Citrus, I really didn't believe in marketing and branding. I was so used to like my dad telling me, oh, you need a product, you need a product. And I figured a website was a product. I didn't understand what branding really was. And so I learned more about branding about seven years into my business. And then from there, I realized that re- it's really branding and marketing that makes a huge difference in in a company's success. But yeah, we do. Now we do. That's exclusively what we do is branding. And how did you teach yourself the branding side of things? I think at first, because I was so stubborn in thinking that branding didn't work, I would always roll my eyes when someone (laughs) would say, like, oh, you know, you need branding, you know, and I thought to myself, all they're trying to do is rip you off. All they're trying to do is pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for something that really didn't make, because I didn't know, like, I, I, I didn't know anything about it. And so, but as an entrepreneur, I think one thing that you have to realize is you always have to start with a beginner's mind. And because I didn't know, and but because I love to learn, 
I started attending these branding workshops. And then from there, I was also helping my clients. And so I would sort of give it a try where, okay, let's talk about the target audience. Let's talk about how you want to communicate so it makes sense. Let's go beyond the website. And I realized the companies that we helped in that way became the most successful. One of them being the Dollar Shave Club. So Michael Dubin actually used to work with my company, Citrus, and he was one of our digital marketing specialists and he would always have these ideas. And I just saw how, you know, branding really helped his brand grow. You know, he was able to set himself apart from everyone else. And you know, in the very beginning, you know, he wanted to call his company Ninja, the Ninja shaver or the ninja dollar shave. And I'm like, no, don't call it ninja. It's so confusing. The, the ninja was the name of the of the shavers because he got 50,000 free blades from someone free, right? So he all he, I think his goal was really just to make $50,000. Like it wasn't to like be sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. But he he realized that he could use his strengths as someone who was very charismatic and very funny and use that be authentic because he did not want to be paying for shavers that were $36 or someone who was basically a former actor, comedian. He didn't want to do that. He came up with this idea of what if the shavers were a dollar and then we shipped them just sounded like insane, right? If you think about it back then, now look, you know, it's, he set off the subscription market. Amazing. Wow. And you are the brains behind it all. No, I don't, I don't say brains, but like, <laughs> yeah, I was there from the very beginning when, when he was thinking about it. Uh-huh. Wow. That's awesome. And who are, or were your other clients anyone else that you can share with our listeners? Yeah. Next Cosmetics, uh-huh. you know, when we first started working with them, they were doing about $10 million in sales and they went from 10 million to 80 million. And in 2014, Tony Co. the owner of NYX, sold to L'Oreal for about a quarter of a billion dollars. Wow. Amazing. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some kind of secret potion behind your magic that you're mm-hmm. working with. <laughs> a lot of hard work. Awesome. So is Orange and Bergamot your company number five? Yeah. Orange and Bergamot, I started because my goal is to really help a million female founders make a million dollars in revenue minimum and create a million jobs. And because I know branding, I understand branding, you have to be the magnet to your potential clients. And I created a whole new brand that just specifically speaks to female founders. And how do you reach the female founders and what type of services do you offer through Orange and Bergamot? Yeah, we first offer a brand quiz so people understand what their brand archetype is. Because if you understand who you are, what you do and why it matters, it really makes a really big difference in how you're perceived in the world. And so I wrote a book, the first step into helping a million female founders is writing down my ideas and thoughts. So I wrote a book called The Little Brand Book. Mm -hmm. And that book is published by HarperCollins. And it's a very simple book. It's about 12 archetypes. And I believe that everyone falls within two of these 12 archetypes. So you have a major and a minor archetype. Mm -hmm. And together it makes like a little baby archetype. And so in the book, there are 144 different archetypes. 
Got it. And so do you have any, like maybe one or two tips for our immigrant entrepreneurs who are just starting out with their businesses, anything that they can tweak on their branding side, anything they can start doing, anything that you can share with us? Yeah, I think that first really understanding who they are. Like I didn't know naturally that I show up in the world as a teacher. Like when I was working at the cyber job internet cafe, I was teaching. I was teaching people internet about the internet, the history of the internet. And I didn't really realize that. So when I created this archetype, my results were I'm the maven and a leader. And a maven is someone who loves to teach, someone who loves to share knowledge, someone who wants to learn as much as they can and share wisdom. And I was doing it subconsciously, right? So I was doing this subconsciously. And if I had taken this to heart that, because my mom and my grandmother were also teachers, and I just didn't see myself as a teacher. If I had known that from the very beginning, I probably would have done digital courses when I first started. You know, all I did was focus on design. And I think knowing who you are is really, really the first step. And let's say your strength is Let's say you show up as a rebel, you know, someone who thinks outside of the box, someone who's innovative, someone who pushes boundaries. If you know that about yourself, you also know that you can't show up as a rebel all the time in situations. Mm -hmm. You have to learn other skills that can help you succeed. But if you don't even know that you're a rebel, right, rebel archetype, then you'll show up and act a fool, you know, in more things <laughs> or, or whatever, or whatever situation, or act more than arrogant in situations where you really should just shut up and learn. Powerful, powerful tips. And we got to really just own where our strengths are. And we cannot be rebels 20, 100% of the time, 24-7. So those are some powerful tips. Thank you so much for sharing that. And what about Conscious Kids Cookies? Now, this company is owned by your daughters? Yes. So they started their company, Conscious Kids, when they were nine and 10. Wow. And the reason why they did that is because they first wanted to do meditation. And, and this is very similar to like entrepreneurs. You want to do meditation. And then they started selling slime. And then they started selling felt bulletin boards. <laughs> they, they've experimented. And then, and then my daughter was working at a coconut stand selling coconut water. I'm so impressed by them because in the most recent months, they've been selling cookies and they've been giving back their proceeds, like 10% of their proceeds to No Kid Hungry. Mm -hmm. And they were featured on ABC. They were featured on, on CBS nationally. And I'm so, so proud of them. As they grow older, they're now 12 and my other daughter just turned 14. They had a little bit of practice when they were younger and now their business is, is thriving. Wow, that's awesome. And where can our listeners pick up their cookies? Just on the website? Yeah, it's ConsciousKidsCookies.com. Okay. And I got to say, you're being an entrepreneur in so many different ways and your daughters are watching you. So how can you not be an entrepreneur? And especially at a young age, but I'm so, so proud of you because they could not do it without you. And you're definitely showing a proven example and of hard work and persistence and being creative. And that's what I see in these kids whipping out these cookies. And <laughs> it's awesome to see them on social media and I'm sure you're a proud mama. <laughs> yeah, I think that for any parents out there who want to have their kids be entrepreneurs, I think it's important for them to learn initiative 
I think initiative is a quality that all entrepreneurs may or may not know that they have. If you see something on the floor, pick it up. If you see something that's out of place, put it back in its place. If you see something that's wrong, speak up. Taking the initiative is a really important quality. And that's one quality that I really try to help them see in their lives. And I also, every summer, I'd always try to teach them a little bit of entrepreneurship. So I would have what I call female founders boot camp <laughs> with, with mm-hmm. them. And I would take them to the flower mart where I'll show them like, okay, this is a florist. Check out how much they sell the flowers here. Right. And then we'll go down to the flower mart downtown and then they'll come with me and then they'll start looking at what it's like to buy flowers wholesale. And I'll say like, look at the prices here. And you see how there's such a vast difference. That's called a markup. But if you just taught it to them over Zoom, I don't think that it would have been as impactful. But because they're actually there visiting like at a field trip, then those types of lessons really just sink in. And my sister in Hawaii, her and her husband have a food truck, a really successful food truck. Over the summer, when we could travel, we'd go there and they would go and check out their operations. and see how much they're charging. And I think that when they're around other business owners, it feels very accessible for them. So they don't just say like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, like I am an entrepreneur. Just like someone who says, oh, I'm going to work out. They're just not working out. They'll say, I'm an athlete, you know, and and that's, and that's when you make that switch is when you start embodying that persona is when things really change in your life. Okay, Kalika, I do have to say I am pregnant. So when this baby comes out, I'm going to send him or her your way (laughs) to get some entrepreneur lessons because it's definitely a talent. You know, like some people can be teachers in preschool and grade school, but some people just can't. They don't have the patience or just that drive. And, And I definitely see that you are such a teacher, like you've mentioned, to everyone surrounded by you and especially your kids. And I've never heard of a boot camp or a class that can be, you know, just breaking it down to the kids, just very simple terms like you did to your to your daughters. And we don't have all that ability these days to get that. So maybe another business on the side mm-hmm. <laughs> to teach kids how to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing that I want to work on with Conscious Kids Cookies is we actually have a wait list to see if people are interested in doing a course where we can show them how to build their own type of cookie business. All right, Kalika. So how long did it take your business to start seeing some real traction in the beginning stages? And I want to touch in maybe all of them if we can, but let's start off with Citrus Studios. When you first launched it, did you have customers waiting outside your door to start doing these website developments? Or what was that like for you? Yeah, I think that I had an issue with I really just didn't pay attention to money when I was younger. And so when I was at the Getty, I picked up this book called The Energy of Money by Dr. Maria Nemeth. And that really helped change my relationship with money. I did a little book club. And actually, you know, one of my friends is actually going to be doing a book club on it. So every week you can basically unfold this book, you know, with with a whole bunch of other people. So 
If you want more information on that, I think it's starting in May. Yeah. Once you understand how money is energy, it will change your life. Like, I feel like I have the Midas touch. And so like, this may not be the same type of experience as other people do, but once you can harness that energy, it's like a rocket ship. So with citrus, for example, in the very beginning, I was really, um, I had already, I already had clients. And so for me, I was the one responsible for my paycheck at that point, right? So like I was on unemployment, then I quit. And then I was doing this business having these clients, but you feel, you feel scared. You're like, oh my God, like, what if I don't, right? Cause, cause when I was working at the Getty, like, okay, I had, at least I had a stable job. So I didn't really right. think about all this other, these other expenses. But what I did was something similar to, I think Jim Carrey did something like this, where I wrote myself a check for $50,000 and I yes. put it up somewhere. And I really thought like, okay, I have $50,000. Like, the fear just dissipated. And then when you're not in fear, you move into creativity. And then when you're in creativity, creativity leads to wealth. And so that was my secret. I think the first year that I started my business, I made a quarter of a million dollars. You know, like it was like I went from wow. $36,000, you know, which, which it was what I was getting paid at the Getty to about a quarter of a million dollars. And I thought, oh my God, that's great. Like, you know, I've, I, I went from nothing, whatever. Yeah. But, and, and I also had money on the side because I was, you know, getting paid more, you know, do my website stuff. So let's say 60, 70,000, right? Then mm-hmm. I went to a quarter million. And this was in the 90, 99, you know, so early. So it's, it sounded like a lot of money. But then I saw this other company, they were named Citrus Global. And so I had sent them a, a cease and desist because they were using my name and it was getting confusing in the market. And then when my lawyers were doing research, he made 800,000 in his first two years of business. And I'm thinking, wait, how did you make 800,000? And I think I was in business maybe three or four years at that time. And then literally when I was able to see someone who's like, I actually talked to him like, oh my gosh, like I can do that. I can do a million. Like that's was in my head. I, and I just said it and I just sort of claimed it and I didn't think about it. And next following year, I made a million dollars. Like it was crazy. That's with Citrus Studios. Yeah. Citrus. Wow. And it's only because you read that book and you decided to change your mindset and decided that, Hey, I'm no longer in fear. I am now going to be creative and I'm going to go and get it no matter what happens. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. There's a coaching model in the book where it's look, right? See what's happening. See, Uh meaning you got to get some discernment and some insight. Like, what are you doing? Are you being shady? Are you paying your bills? You know, like C. Third one is tell the truth. Tell the truth about your situation. There's a difference between being honest and being truthful, right? Being honest is like, well, I didn't mean not to pay back that person. Being truthful is just like, I owe that person $13 and I didn't pay them back. You know, like that's what I mean. And then the fourth step is taking authentic action. After you understand what you're looking, seeing, and telling the truth on, you got to do something about it. And then once you do something about it, your core values are aligned. And then when you're aligned and when you only when you decide once that you're going to show up this way in this world, I'm going to show up with integrity. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to live a purpose-driven life. It becomes easier. You know, you don't have to decide every single day like, oh, 
I wonder how I'm going to show up today. Am I going to show up shady or am I going to show up normal? You know, I don't know. Like, you just decide once. Awesome. So powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Kalika, I wanted to ask, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start any of your businesses? Well, my dad has always been putting these positive quips in my ear. He's the one who got me reading Napoleon Hill, you know, mm-hmm. Thinking Grow Rich and Ong Magdino's book, The Greatest Salesman in the World and Zig Ziglar. So yes. he's been such a great force in my life. And and as an entrepreneur himself, he was very inspiring. You know, every single day he would drive us to school and he would always just say, be good and always led by example. And so he was a great mentor. But as far as now, you know, I'm part of the entrepreneurs organization and I think that the more that you hang out with other entrepreneurs who've gone through what you're doing, you feel like you're really not alone. I think it's really important for you to surround yourself with people, you know, so people who are listening to your podcast, people who are sharing this information after they learn it. It's like, this is your crew. You don't have to listen to things that are negative. If you have a negative, toxic environment, let's say in your current workplace or your family, you can seek out places where you can be inspired, whether or not it's through podcasts, through reading articles, through watching inspirational videos, and they could be living or they could be dead. You could learn from a lot of the past leaders, Abraham Lincoln, you know, powerful leaders, you know, who so much good for this country. I, I just finished reading this book called Leadership in Turbulent Times, and I was never into politics. But when you realize what Abraham Lincoln did, someone who was in, impoverished and he was able to emancipation proclamation, right, f- basically free the slaves, you know, like it's just really amazing, you know, stories of fantastic leadership. Yeah. So yeah, so mentors can be anyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point. I think what is that saying? Tell me who your five friends are and I'll tell you who you are. And it's so powerful to connect ourselves with people who are, like you said, like-minded. And that will break down our fears of being successful. That will break down our misconceptions about being successful. And we can learn from so many different things, even through a bumper sticker. Someone can learn through that. There's so many things that we can attain and reach. We just got to be looking. We just got to be out there and searching and networking and building those relationships. And thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. You know, everyone says that. I, I'm not sure if that's really all true. You know, I believe which, which part <laughs> about, the, about the, you are the five people that you, I mean, they say birds of a feather flock together, but I really yeah. believe rather than dropping friends, you really need to expand your network because we, because the truth is when you study networks, we are already connected to everyone else, right? So if you, we start dropping people, then it's saying that we're not connected, but we really are, you know, like they say the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. So instead yeah. of dropping, what I would give as homework to your listeners is to expand, find a friend of a friend. There's actually a book called A Friend of a Friend, where he talks about how give some value to someone who's a friend of a, a friend. So someone who you, you admire, right. And like it, reach out to them, you know, and those are the people who actually are the ones that are going to connect you to where your, your dreams. 
um, he he did this study where the people who were, I guess, not hot, you know, people who are around you very, very close and you consider them like sort of like hot around you, right? Because yeah. they're close. But the warm leads, people who are like in the outskirts are the ones, because they're in other different tribes, other different arenas, they're the ones that are best suited to connect you to bigger and more. So even with your podcast, you know, reaching out to even your guests, you know, like your guests and say like, hey, do you, do you see anyone else who you think should be on our podcast is a really powerful way to get connected. Awesome. I love it. We'll be expanding all of our networks and our reaches to many different levels. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. So what about marketing in all your businesses? Do you have something that one size fits all? And if not, why not? Do you do like Facebook ads for all your companies or Google ads or social media ads? Do you do any marketing or do you have anything that... If you focus on Facebook ads, is it geared to all of your companies? Oh, okay. So like my services, well, as far as trend goes, I believe that short form video marketing is really where the world is moving towards and marketing in itself is getting the right content to the right person at the right time. So if you yeah. are able to communicate with your tribe, right, they're the ones who are going to be helping you with your sales helping you grow, helping you sustain your business. But as far as marketing goes, I think the common factor is short form video marketing. Mm, and that seems to work on all of your businesses. Well, that's a trend that I see yeah. happening. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. And I know you run EO Wonder Podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Entrepreneur's Organization Wonder Podcast. Yes. Yeah. When did you pick that up and what types of conversations are you guys having on there? Yeah. So I started the podcast in 2016 or so because the Entrepreneur's Organization had another podcast called 360 with Dave Wills. And I just noticed that 99% of his guests were male. And so I had suggested, weren't there more women? And they said, well, why don't you, instead of complaining, you know, be part of the solution. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, I, do you know how many businesses I have? <laughs> you know, I have two kids. I have, you know, I think I was president of the entrepreneurs organization in LA at the time. Like, there's no way. Then this is what always happens, right? You just get stunned. And then slowly the idea percolates and like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe it'll be a good idea. I'm sure it's the same way with you. Like when you first started your podcast, what was that like? Yeah, there was no solution. I didn't find any immigrant entrepreneurs podcast. I think there was only one or two, but that was it. And there was a lot of entrepreneurs for women, entrepreneurs beginning, entrepreneurs. I mean, there's tons of entrepreneurs, but there was a very, very limited amount of immigrant entrepreneurs podcast. So I found a hole and I filled it in. <laughs> yeah, that's really fantastic. And it's good for you. Yeah. yeah, the most recent podcast that I had was with Kara Golden. She's the founder of Hint Water. Okay. And she was great. So I just did a recap show on hers. And then another really fantastic podcast was when I interviewed the couple Meg Hirschberg and Gary Hirschberg. They own Stonyfield Yogurt. Mm -hmm. So they sold their company, I think, for $400 million to Dannon. And I think he took it back and what? really successful company. 
And then Kendra Scott, the owner of the billion dollar jewelry brand based out of Austin, Texas, really phenomenal human being. I also interviewed Chris Voss, the FBI negotiator, and he wrote the best-selling book, Never Split the Difference. So they're really great. Oh, that's so cool. I love listening to podcasts and I'm definitely going to hook up with your podcast and listen to all those powerful stories because that is how we get inspired. And immigrants come here and they start some amazing companies, but then some immigrants sit there and say, how? But then you look at people that have mom and pop shops and grocery stores that don't speak a lick of English and they're making it happen. The more stories we can hear about them and just get inspired, that just inspires everyone on my show to dream big because we can all do it. You should definitely should put out Kara Golden's podcast because you won't believe it. She had three kids and she was pregnant <laughs> For, I think she didn't even tell her husband that she was pregnant. She announced that she was starting company and that she was pregnant at the same time. And guess what? She said, I'm going to be in Whole Foods before I deliver my baby. And guess what? She was like unbelievable. You said Kara Golden? Mm-hmm. The owner of Hint Water. Got it. You know, Yeah. I'll find that and I'll link it into our show notes for other listeners to listen to it as well. So thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I can talk to you forever, but let's carry on. <laughs> okay. So amongst all the companies, I'm counting five companies and the podcasts that you are running, how do you stay productive? So One of the biggest lessons that I learned was not to make the same mistake twice. Okay. I think that if you're making the same mistake twice, you're wasting time. Learn the lesson the first time. And it could be something very small. Like one time I was, I wonder if this happened to you, parking lot, it says when you pull up cash only and you have no cash and you're just like, oh my God, like, why don't you take credit cards? (laughs) And then- Everyone has to go move back, right? They all have to back up because you don't have, I got to go to the ATM. Anyway, that happened to me only once, only once. Like I'm never, ever, that is never going to happen to me. And so now from now on, like I keep a hundred dollars in cash in my purse all the time. If I, if I, it's lower than that, you know, same thing with like, you know, when, when you're younger, like you're pushing it with, when it comes to gas, you know, like I'm going to wait till I have, I really got to go get gas. And then guess what? I ran out of gas. (laughs) I ran out of gas and it was snowing (laughs) and it was, uh, I, you know what it's like to be in like Newark, New Jersey, in the snow. Yeah. And so, so the, these are lessons that I sort of like picked up. Like I'm never, ever, ever going to run out of gas. Right. Yeah. And so when it starts going to half tank, <laughs> you're running to I'm the gas looking, station. <laughs> I'm looking at the gas station and people are like, why do you, you sell so much gas. And I'm like, and then at the most probably like quarter tank because it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. Right. And then, and meanwhile, right. There's this voice inside that says, you should go fill up, you know, you should go fill up. You should go, you should go get some cash in the ATM. And then you don't. And you're like, you got to learn how to, to listen to that voice. You got to learn. Or like, I'm thirsty. The, the, right. I'm just telling you these simple right. things. Right. But I know your listeners are, and you are like, I know, I know this feeling. Like I really should go and drink water right now because I don't know. I just, someone just, it's just, it should drink water. 
you don't drink water and then guess what? You're, <laughs> you're on the road for two hours and yeah. you're parched, you know, something simple. So, so really understanding, don't make the same mistake twice. That's how you become productive. Like you lose your keys, right? So how much time do, does it take for you to lose your keys? That's a lot. So now I have a little place, a little glass container that I keep all my keys in all my homes. Like I have like a little key station. <laughs> I never lose my keys. I may lose my sunglasses, <laughs> but I won't lose my keys. But. Do you write like daily goals, quarterly goals and accomplish them and make sure you accomplish them? Do you have some kind of tactics that you run throughout the days to be so high productive throughout the days? Yeah, I have trackers, okay. you know, that I use in something really simple too. Like you try to figure out like what is important to me, my important, what's important to me. You know, when I'm 99, you know, I want my husband to be with me. I, you know, I want my kids to be with me. And so one thing that I do is part of my tracker is like, I'll give them a 20 second hug. You know, and, and people are like, oh, why do you have to put that in your tracker? I'm like, when was the last time you gave your right. significant other a 20 second hug? Not like this, like, okay, babe, you know, yeah. like little pat. <laughs> because 20 seconds releases oxytocin, you know, and, you're, and then it just makes you just relaxed. And so mm-hmm. I put that in my little tracker. And what, so you, what do you so, mean by a little tracker? Is it like the calendar reminders or is that? No, I actually have a physical, like I, I actually create them. Like people are like, how did you do that? It's on, I bought some templates and, you know, I make them really colorful and I'll put things like I take my supplements, you know, Tai Chi or yoga. Like I actually have these things that I do regularly, mm-hmm. meditation, and you put down the date, you just hit check. And after a while, you know, it becomes a routine, but in the very beginning, you need a way to manage what you really want to do because you always say like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to drink water, but now it's become a habit, you know, and then from there I move on to, to other bigger habits. So like something that I do is I always keep a glass of water by my, you know, my nightstand mm-hmm. because you don't realize how parched you are when you get up, you do, you really don't, you know, and then once you start noticing something small like that, that, that ability for you to notice little things will help you in all areas of your life. Hmm. And so, yeah. So, so when you wake up tomorrow, notice how parched you are. And I remember when I was interviewing one of my, I think it was Tony Co. you know, from NYX Cosmetics. Yeah. And I was just like, what, what do you do? And she's like, well, I drink a glass of water. And I was thinking, well, that's a stupid, and I, in the back of my mind, I'm just like, well, thanks. You know, like you just sold your sister like a quarter of a billion dollars. And then I realized like, well, I do that too, you know, but you know, I, I was expecting something big, you know, like I need something big yes. you know, that I can follow. Grandiose. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But you don't realize that. So this is what happens, right? You're 80% water. You if, if you're actually hydrated, you can think clearer. It's something so small. And they say like, you should do it. And like, even with meditation, you know, like mm. the one thing that I, I, I said I was going to do in 2016, one thing was to learn how to meditate. And then that is a keystone habit that leads to better sleep. It leads to better relationships because you're getting better sleep, right? What is that like, right? If you have better relationships, you have people around you that are loyal you have people around there that have your back, you know, if, if you're not, not talking to them in like that resentful tone, like because you did, you had a bad day or not bad day, but bad, bad night's sleep, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you can avoid that yeah. by one little habit change. Yes. 
Yes. Like drinking water and sitting still for a little bit. Yeah, so. absolutely. And and again, some of these are so simple, but yet overlooked in so many ways. And we just got to apply them mm-hmm. little by little. And then we get grandiose success and results. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I wanted to ask, Kalika, you got some products out there. You have a waxing company. You have the Citrus Studios. You have all kinds of different niches and markets. How do you reinvest in yourself to keep up to date with your industry? Do you read books? Do you collaborate with other people to just stay up to date? Oh, I am an avid reader. I think that leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Like I love consuming content. Right now I'm reading a book called The Truth of How Life Is. It's by this Zen master, Catherine Thomas. She was married to this Zen master. And I think reading, consuming books on Audible. And so what happens with me, like how I consume all this content, like I probably read like four or five books a week is I'll have the Audible, then I'll also have the Kindle version and I'll also have a hardcover. And of the same that's book? how I get through. Of the same book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they have to be good books. It, like the ones that I really, like Like I was telling you earlier, yeah. Leadership in Turbulent Times. So not only did I do that, I found out that the author, Doris Kearns Goodwin, has a masterclass. So I took the masterclass as well, too. And I will go back and revisit books again and again. You know, like I was telling you about the book, The Energy of Money, I think is is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Jim Quick's book, Limitless, is on my table. I just finished this book called Formula, which basically shows how the universe, how fame works, you know, like how the universe is really there to help you succeed. Um, My friend just wrote this book called uh, The Art of People. I love reading and I love sharing what I've learned with someone. I, I think that there are a lot of people out there who are like, oh, I think there's one guy who's like reading a book a day, but he really didn't read the book. <laughs> Apparently he only read like a chapter of the book, That's you know, sneaky. and then he would only share that one chapter. I'm like, you're not doing any yourself a favor. You may, everyone else may think like, oh yeah, he reads all these books, but really like you're the one that's going to benefit from the knowledge and the wisdom. So do yourself a favor and actually read the book. (laughs) But also if it is a terrible book, you should just return it, you know, because there are some really, really bad books out there. Yeah. It's so important, like you said, to even go back to these books over and over when time comes and you're thinking like, okay, I'm in a problem and I'm in a situation with my business. Oh, I read a book once upon a time. Let's go back to it because we can get so creative We can get so much action out of these books and at least one action point we can take into our businesses and learn and grow. So books are definitely so, so powerful. And I'm hearing that even you're reading from business books to biographies to political books. So you're definitely expanding your horizons and expanding that creativity through different types of books. So that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I love poetry too. Poetry, yes, me too. (laughs) So Kalika, I wanted to switch gears and talk about mistakes or failures because there's always a story behind the mistakes we make. And I wanted to touch base on the article I am reading. You went through 
two recessions, employee embezzlement, partnership breakups. One of the partners was your sister-in-law who later divorced your brother, which we talked about customers not paying and tearing a $40,000 invoice and a half in front of your face. Mm -hmm. Cash flow Mm -hmm. issues, a leaky office, your office tripling in rent because a landlord sold the building. So what Mm -hmm. are some tips you can share with our listeners to maybe tackle some of these failures that we can be going through on our journeys? I think that they have to expect these types of obstacles. And these obstacles are meant to go over, under, or through. And I think that they have to learn how to be resilient. You know, one of my favorite quotes is by Albert Camus, a French philosopher. And he says, in the depth of winter, I finally learned that within me lay an invincible summer. I think it's it's crucial for you to learn how to dance in the rain and that this really is a journey. Like if I had told you that everything was great and everything was was hunky-dory, like it wouldn't be interesting. You know, what is interesting about the lives and that $40,000 check being ripped in front of my face, like I learned a lesson from that. You know, I, I learned that I needed to be fair to myself. You know, I learned how to treat not only my clients well, but to treat myself well. You know, I was doing everything for, for my clients because I, I wanted them to be happy. But at the same time, I, di- I learned that I needed to treat them, treat myself just as equally. And so wh- wh- how, do you, how do you treat yourself equal? How do you treat yourself better? You put a contract in place, mm-hmm. right? That's the intelligent way to do it, you know? So mm-hmm. it is a journey. And I think that it's a mistake to think that everything is going to be smooth. And, but it also can be really super exciting. So yeah, even though at the time it's really miserable, I think I shared in, in an article somewhere that my business partner at the time for LuxLink left when I had a newborn, when I had a 30 day newborn, like a a month old newborn, she left, you know, and, and the business was, was growing and I had to go back to work, you know? So I went back to work two weeks after I gave birth. Like that's not, you know, that's not nice, you know, but later on you realize it's like, thank goodness, you know, that she left then, you know, not when the business was, was even bigger than it was, you know, so. Right. And you power through it. So we definitely can get through those challenges as long as we keep a positive mind to go through them. Yeah. Yeah. So what does the American dream mean to you? American dream is really powerful because in this, you know, even though we have issues, right, with there's issues with Asian American Pacific Islanders with the violence that that's against us, mm-hmm. issues with Black Lives Matter, issues with white supremacy here in this country. If you take a look at what happened in history, it doesn't even compare like what happened during the Civil War. You know, like we think like, oh, this is so dramatic. Like it was worse. You know, there was internment camps, you know, with Japanese people being held. So, so I think we have to keep it in perspective and that we truly have the power in ourselves to make things happen here. It is such a wonderful place. And my dream is to see a million female founders succeed and make at least a million dollars in revenue and create a million jobs. You know, I I think that's a million dreams, not just one American dream. (laughs) And when 
I succeed, when you succeed, we all succeed. I love it. And I know you're going to get there, Kalika. I know so, so true that when we reach out and we just voice our goals and put them in writing and stay true to ourselves, we will definitely be able to reach our American dreams. So what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? I think that they have to be true to themselves. You know, I think that you're allowed to show up fully for this life, even before you know what's happening tomorrow. So if you embrace that idea that you can show up fully, even if you don't know all the answers, because that's really what entrepreneurship is all about, right? You're trying to solve a problem for someone else. You know, you can still enjoy because, okay, so... The vice is entrepreneurship is hard, but should you do it? Yes. The best teachers in life are the ones that are constant and the ones that are relentless. And that's what entrepreneurship is. That's what parenthood is actually too. Yeah. Right? You're going to learn a lot going through this journey with your with your baby. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it's going to be the hardest thing, but also the best thing. <laughs> You're going to be stretched, you know, you're going to be poked, you're, you're going to feel discouraged. But remember, you know, you've come this far. And even in the uncertainty, and even in, in these weird, peculiar times, you know, we can still have peace, we can still have peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that everyone should try it. <laughs> I love entrepreneurship. I love it. And way to go to finish up this episode with just everyone should try it. I love the fact that you are practically self-taught, taught yourself everything from digital marketing and branding and even owning a waxing company, which is the first high-end luxury waxing salon in Honolulu and running a podcast and having kids and a husband. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Kalika for coming on my show and I'm so honored to share your story. Thank you so much. You're wonderful. Thank you. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.